Welcome to the Thriving Wellness Podcast, where we encourage and empower everyone to live their lives up to their true potential and share valuable conversations that are translated into action steps for the lifestyle that makes you thrive. Here are your hosts, Ryan and AJ. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Thriving Wellness Podcast. This is your host, Ryan, and one topic in the wellness space that's getting more and more attention lately, as it should be, is mental health. Things like addiction, anxiety, depression, and so on, which millions and millions of people are suffering with every day, is finally getting the traction it deserves. And I'm really excited for today's show since we'll be discussing this very important topic in more depth. My guest today is Alicia Cook, who's an established writer and award-winning activist from New Jersey whose work has been featured in numerous media outlets, including the New York Post, CNN, USA Today, and many more. Her best-selling book of poetry, Stuff I've Been Feeling Lately, was a finalist in the 2016 Goodreads Choice Awards. Her activism to fight the opioid epidemic is far-reaching and has garnered a worldwide readership. She advocates for families affected by drug addiction and speaks candidly about her experiences and how they've affected her own personal mental health. So, Alicia, welcome to the show. Hi, how are you? I'm doing great. So I'd love to start by going over your backstory and how you got into all this. Um, sure. I've been writing for as long as I can remember. It's always been my choice of self-expression, um, how I worked out whatever I was going through. So from an early age, I was keeping journals, diaries, probably since the third grade. Um, I'm really into poetry, creative writing, nonfiction. I'm a big reader. Um, and I just believe that language is so important and words can save a life and make a difference and help people feel less alone. I think that's why so many people love music and obsess over music lyrics. Uh, poetry has seemed to have that same effect on people in the last hundred plus years, uh, but especially now with the rise of modern poetry. I write from um, a space of grief and loss, but also recovery. Um, and my writing really stems from the loss of my cousin Jessica to a heroin overdose when, when she was 19 and I was 20. I started to put into writing what I was going through as a family member affected by addiction. So I do not suffer from sub substance use disorder, but I love someone who did. And um, how that impacted me was I, just like just so hard to explain. I searched for help um, back then for you know self-help books, anything, uh, therapy that might be able to speak on what I was going through, and I couldn't find anything specific to what I was going through. So I naively went home and told my mother that I was going to become that voice because if it affected my family, there has to be other families, other good families out there that are impacted and hurting and confused and just at a loss and feel alone. So I started writing about that in both poetry and essays about what I went through while watching someone I love battle addiction and it kind of snowballed from there. Wow, that's really powerful. And it always is great to hear from someone that took the initiative upon themselves when they were looking for something and it just wasn't there. And so you kind of were a force for change. And so obviously awareness is the first step to change when it comes to addictive behavior. So what kind of action steps do you recommend one would take once they're aware of their situation? Well, as a loved one, um, the first thing you need to do is get rid of any type of stereotype or stigma or shameful thought you have in your head um, because that could keep you in denial for too long. Um, a lot of families think this could never happen to me or not my family or not my kid. Uh, we're a good family, we're this, we're that. Um, and in those times where there's obviously a problem, but you're too busy living in denial, problem is getting worse and worse and the addiction is getting stronger and uh, harder. it will be harder for them to pull themselves out of it. Not impossible, but harder. Um, so the first thing to do is to you know, hang up your ego at the door, humble yourself and realize this has nothing to do with me but it is happening to my family and just accept that it's happening to your family, um, which sounds like a duh statement, but so many families just pull a wall up and don't want to admit that their kid's addicted to an opiate when they are. Um, the second thing is to seek help, not just for your loved one, but for yourself. And that is something I wish I had done way before I actually did it. Um, you live in this world of immediacy 
and you just focus on one minute to the next and um, you don't realize what's that, what that is doing to your body and mind until you're out of it one way or another and you realize how damaged you were because of this. And then you have to take steps to repair yourself as well. If you have an addiction yourself, um, the first thing you need to do is realize that especially with the, the drugs and the introduction of fentanyl in our world, um, you're not going to live long as someone addicted to a substance. You need help. Um, the world needs you here. So uh, there, you're not going to die from old age anymore if you're addicted, especially to an opiate. Um, and the timeline of saving yourself is getting smaller and smaller because the drugs are so much more potent and poisonous. Um, so you just have to find help both for the user and the loved one. And that's what I try to stress to families. That's such sage advice because there is a big stigma around addiction and people want to believe the best when it comes to their loved ones. So when there's a denial, it's easy to buy into that and say, oh yeah, my child or my family member is doing just fine. When in reality, they could be really struggling and it's important to really identify that and take action sooner than later. Like you mentioned, I actually had firsthand experience working with uh, a young man who also suffered from a heroin overdose. It didn't take his life, but he was severely debilitated both mentally and physically after that experience. And I worked in a physical therapy clinic with him to help to restore some of his function. But it was just such a powerful story to hear from his parents who would often bring him to his appointments of what they went through with this whole experience. And people need to realize that their addiction is not only affecting their life, but also everyone around them, so their friends, their families, their communities. It really has a, a far-reaching impact outside of yourself. Absolutely. And, I, and something I've heard a lot um, from people who I know in my life that um, are now thankfully in recovery from an addiction, uh, when they're in active addiction, what I, what I used to hear a lot uh, yelled at me is, you know, this is my life. This isn't affecting you. Just live your life. It's my life. And it's no one's life is just their life. If you want to get totally philosophical with it. Um, your existence impacts other people's existences, um, no matter what, whether you're, you know, the poster child of excellence to someone who is struggling, um, your life touches other lives. And I do believe it's almost like an osmosis. I have a, an essay called heroin is the worst thing to ever happen to me. And it's, it reads as everything I'm going through and why heroin is the worst thing to ever happen to me. And the big reveal at the end of the essay is that I've never used heroin. And it shows the direct parallels between what people addicted to a substance go through, but at the same time what the loved ones and the people that care about them go through and they're real paralleling symptoms um, where sometimes you can't even differentiate who's actually using the substance and who isn't because we're all that broken. That's fascinating. And I found the same to be true. And that's also holds true when it comes to suicide. People think that, hey, this is my life. And if I want to take it, it's my choice. And they don't consider the impact that's going to have on their loved ones and how detrimental it's going to be for the people around them. And I feel that if they were more aware of that, it would really impact their decision as to whether to use a substance or to, in this case, worst case scenario, commit suicide, being understanding that, hey, my choices impact the people I care about most in really, really powerful ways. Right. You're, you're right. This is where the mental health component comes in, right? Because as someone who might be of sound mental health, you understand that your decisions affect others. When mental illness comes into play, a lot of that goes out the door and you do, especially pe people that um, die by suicide or attempt suicide. I used to have different thoughts on that, especially when I was younger, I would be, I would say, how dare they do that to their family? Now I've gone through enough and met enough people and educated myself on mental health and, and really what happens to your brain. And, and I understand, I come from a different angle of understanding now with that, where instead of just saying, how dare they, I say, how alone and broken and hurt and just demolished did they feel to think that this was the only answer? Um, and the fact that it's National Suicide Prevention Month, and I see a couple of my poems going viral again. I mean, there are a lot of people out there that need that connection, that are fiending for a connection. 
And for some people, it's they find that connection through, unfortunately, drugs. I like to say that drugs are, are just a symptom of the bigger disease. You know, a, the drugs are a symptom of addiction. What's addiction a symptom of? What's, this, what's the genesis of that? There's definitely a mental health component attached to that. Um, and it's just this, everything's connected. And we used to love to look at things separately um, in their own boxes. But you're right. It, it is all connected. Yeah. And that's, that's a really fascinating point you brought up, the differentiating between poor mental health and actual mental illness, something that's worth examining. And one of the things I really love about your work as I was going through a lot of your content is you really emphasize how many individuals who are suffering from this on the inside yet portray on the outside to their external worlds that everything is just great. It's really hard to admit these things to people you care about and to ask for help. And that's something you really highlight because I think it's a spectrum and we all go through ups and downs. I don't care how great your life seems on the outside. We all have these negative beliefs. We all have these down moments in life. And it's important to share them with others because otherwise it just compounds. And this is something that your work is really brought to light. Thank you. I am... I never write with the intention that I'm going to strike a nerve or I never write thinking like, Oh, I want this to explode and go viral. And, and, uh, the piece that has recently, um, dictates exactly what you explain is that we walk around with all this pain inside of us. We don't even feel like we could emote it or show it to the people closest to us. And, um, that poem I wrote, where I had all the lines crossed out about, sorry, I haven't texted you back. Um, I explained that I had a bout of depression and bought off a panic attack and haven't slept and all this and that. Uh, I had actually typed all that out to my best friend that I was just going to unload on her. And, um, and then something, a, a switch went off and I said, Oh, I can't send this to her. She, she doesn't need to hear this. I don't want to burden her with this. And she might want to know why I feel this way right now. And I can't even explain it myself. So I crossed, I, you know, I deleted it all and then just wrote, you know, life's been busy. Let's get dinner soon though. And I thought if I'm doing this, as I consider myself a well-adjusted 33-year-old professional woman, how many other people are doing this for age ranging? You know, I remember really hurting and, be, and being really isolated and down elementary school, you know, middle school, high school. So um, I just posted it and I had no no idea that so many people range age range different religions different races everything we're going to connect to it as they did i really want to highlight that because that's something that gets overlooked in that when an individual who seems like they have it all together they got a great job good relationships you know strong family structure they they seem like they have nothing to be upset about they seem like life is fantastic looking from the outside in that's oftentimes the hardest situation to come out to others and say you're really struggling because there's almost a, a real negativity brought to that because other people think, well, you shouldn't be struggling. You're doing so well. You're making money. You're having this great career. You're having great friendships and community. What do you have to struggle with? And they almost take that away from you and make you feel even worse about it. Yeah. I'm glad you brought that up because that is something that I deal with. And that is why I stayed quiet about certain things for so long. Um, like what you just said sounds like something like my parents meaning well have said to me, you know, you have books out, you're living your dream. Like I'm, I have my dream career. I have a good man in my life. I have like, I have amazing things. And um, some days I still can't get out of bed. And, you know, my first book that you brought up stuff I've been feeling lately, it touches on grief and loss and it, not it implicitly, maybe even back then, because I wrote that book over four years ago already, like maybe back then I didn't even know I was talking about the deterioration of my mental health. But reading it back now, I was definitely even talking about mental health then, though it was more implied than explicit. Um, so this is something, the first thing I had to realize is um, that sadness and my anxiety or my bounce of depression or whatever are not one and the same. You know, like I'm not a sad person. On my good days, I'm I'm happy. You know, mediocre maybe, but um, separating those words, going back to language being important. Sadness and depression are not the same. Anxiety and depression are not the same. 
depression, you know, anxiety and sadness are not the same. They're, they're all different pockets. Um, there's connections, but I could, you know, the people could have it all and still not get out of bed in the morning. Um, because it's their brain. It's, it's not, um, you know, look at all the celebrities that completely spiral and, and deal with things. And, um, Mac Miller always comes to mind because I was a huge fan of his and he was at the top of his game, uh, artistry wise or, you know, musically. Um, and he just completely fell apart. And a big part of that is anxiety and depression that had nothing to do with the money in his bank account. So I just want to know that, that like you, don't have to look or sound or be a certain way for your feelings to be valid. It's so true. And, you know, money and success does not equal happiness. There's so much more to the equation. I've really learned this through all my research and clinical work and my practice working with people, how much your physical health really ties into your mental health and vice versa for that matter. It's all interrelated. And what I found is that through the right types of lifestyle practices and routines and bringing up your physical health, it will directly impact your state of mind and your mental well-being. And that's where I think there's a disconnect is that people can be doing great externally in terms of what they're accomplishing and their relationships and all that. But if they're lacking some of the key nutrients, key amino acids, key neuro neurotransmitters that really dictate your brain chemistry, then they can still wake up feeling depressed and anxious and have these problems and, and negative thoughts because there's an imbalance in the body that's causing it regardless of your success in the outside world. Yeah, that's, those are all great points. Um, I saw a funny meme the other day that, you know, said when I was a kid, I thought coffee and alcohol were adult beverages, but now that I'm an adult, I learned that water is the adult beverage and things like that. And just staying like, just as simple as staying hydrated makes all the difference in my day. You know, how I feel uh, at the end of the day, if I feel low or just imbalanced, I'll think, Oh wow, I didn't drink. I, clearly didn't drink enough water today. It's not some, it's not always that simple, but it is those little life changes that could improve your mental wellness. And um, I do think there's a disconnect still between physical and mental health because there's no shame or stigma in going to a gym or somewhere and working on your physical health, but there's still that level, that veil of shame for people that want to go to maybe a therapist or a counselor and work on their mental health. And I just, I just hope one day we live in a world where that's not seen as something not the same as going to the gym. Because in my mind, it's the same. It is. And I think that the paradigm is shifting slowly but surely. People are starting to wake up and realize that. And it's interesting, just in even my circle, the things that used to be thought of as normal or even cool, like going out and partying and staying out late drinking and things like that, are no longer that cool. What's cool is getting to bed on time, getting good quality sleep, staying hydrated, eating well, taking care of your body, taking care of your health. Those are the things that are now prized in at least my circle that I run in and rightfully so. And it's, it's always nice to see how that's changing. And I think it is reaching the masses and there is a, a shift going on that I, lo I love to see. So let me ask you this, Alicia, what types of daily routines or lifestyle practices do you personally implement to keep your physical health on point and also your mental health? I, uh, I've always been um, into going to the gym, cardio, things like that. It started, I mean, from when I was young, probably a vanity body dysmorphia thing, if I'm being honest. But um, I just always feel better if I'm active. The last couple of years, I've gotten really into hiking and exploring and doing outdoor things. Um, you know, I run, but I'm not a runner. I always say I just enjoy it. Um, Water has been the biggest thing. And I mean, again, I'm 33 and I'm just like, hey, water is life changing. I'm just realizing it now. Um, but upping my water, choosing what water I'm actually drinking, making sure, you know, it's pH balanced, all of that makes a difference to me. But I'm also I'm a hypocrite a lot of the times. And I, and I think that's why my readers still like, I think that's one of the things my readers like about me. Not that I'm a hypocrite, but that I'm open about that I'm flawed and I make mistakes or I fall off my own you know, my, my own trains a lot. Um, I don't always practice what I preach, which is bad. Um, but I do want to stress the fact that when I am taking care of myself and I am sticking to a routine, my headspace, everything is just so much better and clearer and I'm more lucid and I'm more alert. Um, so why I don't practice it all the time, I, I can't tell you, but, um, there is something to be said for developing that routine. I also haven't 
drank alcohol since uh, June 1st, which is a big thing for me. Now, I never really battled any kind of alcohol issues, but um, I just decided one day after a terrible hangover that I never wanted to feel that way again. And I mean, never say never, but uh, June 1, I, I haven't had a drink since then. And I think that that's helped me. Um, my skin's even better. Yeah, people underestimate the power that even those small acute exposures have in our overall life cycle, because I've been in the same position where, uh, you know, I'm not by any means abusing alcohol, you go go out, have a few drinks with your friends on the weekends, maybe. And by cutting that out completely, there's a massive shift in your overall energy and your vitality and your mental physical well being, that's profound that you would never expect would be brought down by such a a small usage of a substance like alcohol or whatever it may be for other people. And that's something to really highlight. And another thing, just to touch on more lifestyle factors that I found to really, really move the needle for people I work with, as well as with myself that are kind of non-negotiables in my life, are things like getting out and getting some sunshine, how that can impact your mental health, going for a walk and movement and exercise, which has been shown in so many studies to outperform just about every antidepressant, anti-anxiety drug on the market is just by doing some physical activity and breaking a sweat and doing things that take you outside of your comfort zone. And like you mentioned, hydration and making sure you're getting not only enough water, but a good quality filtered water, spring water, and putting in the right types of minerals to really bring the water to your cells and have your body be able to use it. And then there's so many other factors beyond those. And like you mentioned, getting out in nature is one of the best ways, getting grounded and getting immersed in this environment that's outside of the city can have amazing, amazing benefits to your mental well-being. And people always associate those things with physical health. Like, oh, I'm going to go on a hike so I could lose weight, or I'm going to go to the gym so I could gain some muscle. But in reality, it's all interconnected. And the more you do those things for your physical health, the better you feel, the better you show up in the world, the less of these mental health issues you're going to suffer from. And so that's always a big push. And it's always interesting when people come to me for a physical goal, they may come to see me because they have a physical disease or they have a physical issue that they're trying to reverse. And what they find over the course of working with me and, and getting to the root cause and reversing this physical problem is that they're happier than they've ever been. They feel fantastic. And it's, it makes total sense when you break it down and look, for, look at it from a holistic perspective. Absolutely. And, and everything you're saying, I, I totally agree with um and then there's that added thing where it's like oh well if you're feeling if you know you're you're starting to it's a slippery slope with depression anxiety you know i feel it bubbling with my anxiety i feel it bubbling to the surface a couple days before it's actually there and just in my head and you know making me not want to get out of bed um and then there's coping mechanisms i've developed in order to maybe talk myself down or breathe myself down to avoid the panic attack, to avoid, uh, you know, losing, you know, getting blurry vision and, and everything like that, which is what I wrote about in the, in the viral poem. Um, but something about as simple as getting sunshine, I absolutely agree with you, Adley. You know, when winter depression is real because vitamin D deficiency is real, it's proven that it affects us on multiple levels, but to, to, I've been that person where all I want to do is not shower, lay in bed, and not talk to anyone. It takes almost sometimes too much energy to even get out of bed to, to do anything. Um, and that's when I am thankful that I have a support system around me where they kind of nudge me out of bed. But there are so many people suffering in silence and alone. And they just lay in bed all day. And it's be, it, it's not anything against them. It's that no one else knows that they would even be dealing with that stuff. And it's just, don't, I just want to stress to anyone listening, like, don't suffer in silence. Don't think that your pain isn't worthy of expression. I think it's so important to speak your experiences into the world because it helps on multiple levels. It empowers you. It empowers others. It consoles others. It could even help save others. And and in, in a way, it's you raising your hand and saying, like, I'm going through this just so you know. And then these people know and they think to check in on you and things like that. Yeah. And I think a big uh, barrier to kind of coming out and talking to people about this in your life is that, like we talked about previously, it's hard when you feel 
like you have so much to be grateful for and other people will, you're worried that other people will look down upon you because you're, they'll think you're that you're just an ungrateful person or that you're just not appreciative of all the things you have in this life. And it makes it so much more challenging to come out, whether it be to someone in your life or on social media and talk about these things, because there is a fine line between expressing how you feel so that others can connect and relate and also to constantly complaining and being kind of a negative person that just always is looking at the dark side of life because that's a real thing too. Some people, if they were to just reframe their situation, can get so much more out of it and feel so much better overall. So how do you kind of da- dance that fine line of being an over-complaining person that just is always looking at the dark side versus actually just kind of realizing, hey, I'm in this position. I need to share it with others so they know I'm going through this. Yeah, I think that's language. Our overall thing here is language. I think language is important always. I um, I mean, only speaking for me, I think that how you express yourself uh, could dictate a lot. So instead of just saying like, you know, I just say, say blanket statements at this point for people who are in my circle and need to know if I'm having a day. Um, I'll say like, I felt low today, period. I won't say why, because a lot of times there isn't a why. Um, the whys are when, when you start like trying to peck around for a reason, that's when you could start to feel like you're just complaining about things. But sometimes there is no valid reason. Sometimes it just comes down to how your brain woke up that day. Um, and that's a, a big part of what I do is just saying, like, just say how you feel. Don't be worried about how other people are going to interpret that because even just saying it out loud, you will feel lighter. Um, and, and that's really what I think about a lot is that fine line between people thinking that I'm seeking attention or if I'm trying to advocate and be a voice so other people step up. And, and the biggest example of the fact that we're not alone in this and that majority of the world likely feels like this is if you go and you look at any of my poems and you see the amount of shares and you see people in my comments sharing their experiences. We're not unique in this. We all have very similar experiences when it comes to anxiety and depression and mental health and illness. Um, People say that it sounds like I just stepped inside their head and started explaining it for them, but we've never met. So I think that that says something really strong. Um, but I don't think you should, I think you should worry less about how people might interpret this for years. My family, um, they just thought that I was lazy some days. Like I would be super high functioning, straight A student honors, all of that. And then I would procrastinate or become lazy. And I'm starting to think that it was never me being lazy. It was me having really low days that were stemmed from some kind of, um, you know, mental health component. Yeah, that's, that's huge. And so if someone feels that way and they're, you know, let's say that someone's in that position, they're just having trouble getting out of bed. They're feeling really, really down. And, you know, they reach out to a few friends and say, Hey, you know what? Things have been better. I'm not doing the greatest. What other steps do you suggest after that to kind of turn it around, to get back to it and to really get out of that situation? Cause it is a downward spiral. It's a really hard trap because when you're feeling that way, all of the things that I mentioned as far as lifestyle, when it comes to nutrition and exercise and sunshine and getting out in nature, it's hard. You just, it's not as easy. It's easier said than done. And so Absolutely. when you're feeling really lousy, what are some of the initial two or three steps that you suggest for people to get out of that trap? For what works for me is one shower. Even if you shower the night before, even if you showered hours before, get back in the shower. Um, Something that I struggle with when I am going through those days is that I hate to shower. The thought of showering, you just like, I I wanted to sleep for hours. It feels like it takes all my energy to even want to wash my hair. Um, So the first thing would be to shower. Second thing is if, if your scenario where you're texting your friends and you're being honest with them, you know, as a friend, if I get that test from someone, I try to get my friend, if I'm in the area, out of the house. You know, shower, put clean clothes on. Let's go, you know, if you don't want to go eat, let's go for a walk. Let's figure something out. Let's go shopping. Just get them out of their environment. Um, and, I mean, a third thing is, depending on where, you know, you can kind of gauge yourself and, and what level you're at, but um, 
going to a therapist is always, you know, going to talk to someone is always on the top of my list. Yeah, that's not always accessible. And I know like a lot of people struggle with co-pays or lack thereof of co-pays. But um, when you find the right therapist, like, that could change your life. It absolutely can. And I, I think those are the biggest takeaways is for people to understand how big of an impact these small actions can be. Because if they think like, yeah, I, I took a shower every day, like taking a shower is not going to help me, Alicia, or hey, Ryan, I go outside. Like, what are you talking about, sunshine? That's not going to solve my situation. But it's these little things that add up to massive changes in your state of mind. And you don't realize it at the time necessarily. Sure, you could feel better after a workout, of course. But it's usually the cumulative effect. And over time, you could look back a week or two weeks or a month from there and say, wow, just doing those little things, that little 15 or 20 minute morning routine that Ryan suggested is really changing the game for me. And I love what you mentioned about having them get out of their environment. Shifting the environment is huge and doing it for other people. Because let's say you do reach out to a few friends and maybe they have some condolences and they say, well, I'm sorry to hear that, blah, blah, blah. But maybe you could reach out to other people in your life that you know are in a similar position that are not doing well and come together and both go for a walk and invite other people to do things because you can't always rely on your friends or family to invite you out because that's not always going to be the case for everyone listening to this. And so being the instigator of that, as hard as it may be, but just realizing that, hey, my friend over here is also struggling. And I know that because she shared it with me. And we've been talking about how we're both going through this uh, depression together, let's say, or anxiety. Taking the initiative and asking your friend to go on a walk or asking your friend to come over or go to the gym or go to the mall, whatever it may be, can really be a good step in the right direction for people who may be thinking, well, that's great. Alicia has awesome friends that invite her out places, but I reach out to my friends and they send me like a sad emoji face back and that's it. So I right. think that's that's the big thing is you got to realize sometimes in life, you're the one that has to take action. Yeah, that's that's a great point. I am fortunate that I have people in my life. Um, but yeah, to be honest, too, that when I get to those places, a lot of times I don't even reach out to them. I just like stay in my own head, which isn't great. Again, me being a hypocrite. Um, but hate it or love it. This is where social media comes into play as well, because for as evil as social media can be. It also connects like-minded people, people who understand. Um, and I've been able to forge relationships on the internet with people all over the world um, where if I'm having a day or if they're having a day, like we talk to each other and there's that connection there. Um, so, it, you know, in years ago when people were like, don't meet anyone off the internet, I, you know, I met some of the best people in my life off the internet at this point. You just have to, you know, use, gauge it well. Um, but I just, I like that we're talking about this. And then at the same time, I always think, I don't want us to th people to think we're watering it down. There are really deeply depressed, suicidal people out there where like a walk's not going to fix it. A shower's not going to fix it. And that's where professional intervention needs to come into play. Um, and I just want to stress that like, especially this month that you're not alone. And that is, people say it all the time, but it, that's a, permanent solution to a temporary problem. Um, and I just, my heart breaks for people that are hurting like that. And I'm grateful that I, my anxiety and depression usually is triggered by something. I don't live with it all the time. So I don't want to speak from that angle. Um, but I know a lot of people in this world do live with it every day. It doesn't need to be triggered. Um, mine is heavily triggered. I'd love to touch more on the social media aspect because it really is a double-edged sword because as you mentioned, it could be a great place for people to connect and to get inspiration and wisdom from others. And I found that to be true for myself, but it can also play the other way around and can make you feel even worse about your situation because everyone's just putting out their highlight reel and very, very few people are sharing their vulnerable side like you are, Alicia, where they're saying, hey, I'm struggling too. Let's connect over this. But rather... They're posting the best photo they possibly can. And I'm uh, guilty of this as well. I have a really hard time sharing my down points because like we mentioned earlier, I don't want to come off sounding ungrateful and like I'm negative or complaining. I want to help uplift people. So what do you suggest for people who are scrolling through their feed and it's making matters worse because all they're seeing is their friends traveling and their friends having these accomplishments and it makes them uh, reframe their situation as even uh, worse off than it may be. 
Right. I uh, Well, first off, I never want you to think that if you're having a moment, a day, whatever you want to call it, um, that you are ungrateful if you share. If people won't think that you're ungrateful if you share that. People will actually humanize you more and you'll be more real to them. Thus making your connection to your uh, followers, friends, even deeper. That's what I've seen happen to me, at least, where when I started sharing more and more about myself in those aspects, I was humanized and I, I was just, the connection got so much deeper with my readers because they knew I was coming from an honest, vulnerable place. So, I mean, I, I challenge a lot of influencers like yourself to be real and not saying that you're not real, but like be more real um, when, when you're having those down moments because it shows that our humanity fluctuates constantly. Our, we ebb and flow just like the ocean, you know, there's rise and falls. And it, But I do agree that a lot of people still continue to treat social media like that highlight reel. Yeah, and and I think, I was just going to say, I think the biggest thing is to recognize that that's what people do and to understand that their lives aren't perfect. No one's perfect. I don't care how great their life may seem. Everyone struggles to some extent. Everyone has low points. I don't care how happy you are. How, I, I consider myself to be an extremely happy person that rarely, if ever, deals with some of these issues. But yet, that doesn't mean I'm perfect. That doesn't mean I'm 100% happy 100% of the time. It just doesn't work like that. We all have highs and lows and ebbs and flows in our mental state and our well-being. And so that's another thing just to recognize when you're feeling down about your situation and seeing all these other people doing so many incredible things is that they're struggling too behind the scenes. Yeah. Um, one of the biggest stars right now that come to mind talking about highlight reels is Ariana Grande. She has decided in the last year or so to publicly and openly express directly to her fans, speaking directly to them when she cancels shows, when she cancels meet and greets, when she can't get out of bed in the morning. I feel like I've been saying that a lot, but that's literally, that's usually how I feel um, when I, I, look, I don't want to get out of bed. And I applaud her. She's the most followed person or something on Instagram. And she's the biggest pop star in the world or one of the, she has everything at her beck and call, but she has PTSD and she has depression and she has immense anxiety. Um, and I just love that she's speaking about it. And it actually made me become a, a fan of hers because even previously I, I didn't really I was indifferent towards her. I didn't really love her music, anything like that. And and now I'm now that she's writing her own music and she's writing directly from her experiences, I'm connecting to her music. So she has a listener in me that wouldn't have existed otherwise. And I, I doubt I'm the only one that would say that. So understand that it's a highlight reel, but also understand that if you look enough, if you look, you really investigate, there are communities like the ones I'm in that just speak openly around the clock about what we're going through and we don't turn people away. And you could, I mean, I write back to every, I try to write back to every one of my readers um, because I understand how important that connection is, especially if they have no one else to talk to. I totally agree. And one of the other things that you touched on, I'd like to expand on more is this notion that people have, which is this, I'll be happy when. They're always striving for this next stepping stone, this next achievement, this next material possession, and they're constantly delaying happiness. And I hate to see it. And it's a trap everyone falls into at one point or another because it's simply human nature to think that your life will be substantially better when X, Y, or Z happens. And you look at these really, really successful people who are at the top of the ladder, like Ariana Grande, who are not happy necessarily all the time. I'm not saying that she's an unhappy person. I don't know her. But what I am getting at is that you have to realize that you need to find ways to be happy in the here and the now and not, and it's good to be striving for more. It's good to understand that be happy with where you're at and always want a little bit more because personal growth is something that brings us happiness and brings us fulfillment and brings more good things to our lives. But you can't always be delaying that happiness. You have to recognize that. Whatever your situation may be currently, that's okay. Be present, be happy with what you have, make the most of it, and always be reaching for the next step. But don't be waiting to be happy when you get that next step. Right. And don't expect all your problems to go away once you reach a milestone or check something off your bucket list because 
those tangible things that you're after, like they don't fill you. Uh, and that's one thing that I never really battled with because of the loss I've experienced at such a younger age where I realized like people are what matters. You can have everything you want and still not have it all. And, and the idea, the notion of having it all is silly in itself because you know, a millionaire wants to be a billionaire. There's always something else. And um, something, my mind just tracked that off. Well, but, well, on, on that topic, there's actually, I think it was Jim Carrey or some famous celebrity uh, has a great quote where he said, I wish every single person could be rich and successful to realize that that's not going to make you happy and it's not going to change your mental state necessarily for the long run. And these material possessions and wealth, they're not going to be the, the needle mover people make them up to be. People put it on a pedestal like, eh, if I just get that job, if I just get that car, if I just get that house, my, all of my problems will be solved. And that's just not the case. And so many successful people have outlined that to us by their accomplishments and their lack of good mental health or stability or uh, overall well-being. So that's something huge to identify and to, to realize. That's a great quote. Jim Carrey is another person that has in the last couple of years or so really stepped out and spoke about depression. And, um, you know, Robin Williams is another key example of one of the funniest man, you know, men in the world, not wanting to live. Um, and, and that just is so deep rooted in our minds that, well, if you have all this money, if you have the stardom, if people flock to you on the street, you should be fulfilled. And, um, it's just so much more than that. I remember when I got, my book deal in 2015 or 2016. Um, my whole life, that's all I wanted. And I thought that would solve everything. That's all I wanted. And I got my book deal and my, you know, my book was published and did well in the most volatile year of my life. That having that physical accomplishment didn't fix anything else in my life. Um, it was one of the most like tumultuous moments in my world. And I always think back to that where that was like the, my number one on my bucket list and I attained it and it didn't change anything. And that's a common theme I see. I work with a lot of entrepreneurs and it's very well known that when you reach your milestone, let's say you have this huge goal and you sell your company or you have this extreme success that you've been working towards for so long and you accomplish that and come to this realization that we're talking about that, hey, that doesn't solve all your problems. That doesn't give you instantaneous happiness for life. They become even more depressed and become even more down on themselves because now they've reached what they've been working towards. That thought they, if they thought it was like the light at the end of the tunnel and come to realize it's not. And now they feel really lost. They feel disconnected. And it's something that I think a lot of people go through. And that's even a harder position to say, hey, I just sold my company for millions and millions of dollars. And now I'm unhappier than ever, it's it's a really hard thing to come out and say to people. Right, because people want to be like, boo-hoo, you have all this money. Yeah, exactly. And uh, I can I completely understand that. And I, I think I agree with something you said early, way earlier where you were like, you think that there's a change, a shift in people realizing that this is all connected, that mental health and being a millionaire, you know, you don't have good he mental health just because you have all this money or success or fame. And I think that people are starting to realize that, that no one is immune to this. Um, but I think only, I think people are only realizing it now because so many people on all levels um, are talking about it. You know, you and me are sitting here talking about it. Uh, Jim Carrey's talking about it. Um, there's just, I think that that's something, there's something to be said about the power of a collective voice. Um, and I'm, I mean, I hope in my lifetime, I see that, you know, all the stigma has been erased from both drug addiction and mental illness, because that's, that's what I'm here for. I totally agree. And I also think it, one other thing I want to stress is you mentioned the importance of finding someone to talk to, whether it be a friend or family member, or ideally a professional, like a therapist. But I think the other thing people need to seek out if they're struggling with this is seek out a, a natural health practitioner because they will help you get some of these things in line because it's amazing how much your nutrition and your lifestyle impacts how you're going to feel on a daily basis. I mean, every minute of every day is determined by what you're putting into your body, both the food and the inputs, how you're spending your time, your environment. And that's something that's hard to dial in by yourself. 
It's hard to know what's right. We're in this age of information overload, and it can be really challenging to navigate this world of health and nutrition and wellness on your own. So I highly urge people, if they have the ability to make the investment, to get some help, to get some resources, to speed up that learning curve so that they can realize what impact it's going to make. And that's also going to provide them with the accountability, which is such a missing link to making these lifestyle changes. And one other thing I want to really emphasize that's really changed the the game for me personally, and for many people I know, are hobbies. So many people are devoid of hobbies because we have this instant thing called a cell phone or a TV or technology that completely eliminates boredom. I mean, not completely, but for the most part, you know, it's amazing to me how few people, when you ask them, hey, what do you like to do for fun? They, you know, if you ask me that, I'd say, I love to go surfing. I love to go mountain biking. I love to spend time with friends. I love to go out and get on the water and do some paddle boarding or some kayaking. And you ask other people and they'll say, oh, you know, I like to watch Netflix or, you know, how do you spend your time outside of work? Oh, you know, I scroll through social media or I surf the internet. And it's important to make time for hobbies. And if you don't know what hobbies you'd like, try some new stuff, take some tennis lessons, get out and do something active because that will not only give you the physical benefits of being outside and doing some movement, but also the community. You make so many friends by partaking in these hobbies and these activities. And there's great apps like Meetup that you could leverage because you may be thinking someone listening to this, like, well, that's great for you, Ryan, but I don't know anyone that uh, mountain bikes or hikes around me. So I don't want to go do this alone. That could be dangerous. Well, there's technology that you could utilize into your advantage to connect with others, to form these social bonds, to do this recreational networking, or you could use it to your detriment and binge on Netflix and be in this bad trap of just relying on social media and other kind of internet distractions that never really help you evolve and grow as a person. Those, those are all such great points. I mean, we have the world in our pocket at this point and we've never been more disconnected from ourselves, from others. It's, it's so, so odd to me, um, almost in an oddly fascinating way, how we've become so dependent on our cell phones and our, need to be constantly connected. I was talking the other day about how I used to say when I was you know, 15 years old, I'm going to go online. And now like, I have to say, I need to go offline. Like it's just, <laughs> you're always online. I used to like have to go online and it would be 30 minutes, an hour of my day. And then I would go into the world again. Um, and now it's just not always the case. Um, but I also don't, I think that there are ways to, to leverage social media and technology um, but yeah, those were all great points. And, um, I always just think that sometimes we're like the generation that just wishes it was from another generation. Yeah. And those hobbies will also get you out spending time with people you care about and making new friends. That's healthy because I find so much that the way people connect nowadays is through alcohol. They go out and get a beer together. They go out to a restaurant and they eat dinner together. And it's not necessarily conducive to improving your mental and physical health. And it's unfortunate because that is a lot of the ways that you're able to get out and connect with people in your community. It's almost the norm. And so I always urge people to find ways to connect with your friends and your community that are facilitating good health. These hobbies are a game changer. And I find they're in especially important for addiction because addiction really stems from boredom, not being satisfied with what you're doing, not having anything you want to do. And so you resort to this substance, whether it be alcohol or cannabis or a harder, uh, a harder drug, and that falls into a really negative trap because, yeah, if you're smoking weed all day, you're not going to be very bored. You're just going to be high as a kite. And if you're drinking, you're going to feel less of that pain and it's going to numb it in a really unhealthy way. And so I, I do find that it's really important to connect with others outside of these social norms of going to a bar. I think that um, you're right that connection, connection or the desire or lack thereof, I think is what drives a lot of addiction. Um, I think that boredom and loneliness should not be confused for one another. I think a lot of people that start experimenting with different substances are lonely and disconnected. Uh, and again, the mental health component comes in. So I think that that that's something that we really need to take into account is how do we reconnect 
to each other versus just connecting to our phone. I mean, I, I we're all guilty of it. I sat there the other day and I just said out loud, I don't even know why I'm scrolling right now. I was just scrolling mindlessly where I could have been doing anything else. I could have even been like vacuuming, but instead mm. I was just scrolling or watching the same office episode I've seen 27 times. <laughs> and how is that helping me? But we do need to make a deliberate effort to do what, what you're saying and to step outside of, of that box and actually redefine what hobbies should mean um, to us. It's hobbies is, isn't watching Netflix. It's not as much as I love Netflix. I, I feel like sometimes I feel like I can't live without Netflix, but it's not a hobby. It's not something that you should do for fun. Um, and yeah, so I, I do agree to that. And then I do think that that brings up the more interesting topic of, are you bored or are you lonely? Because those are not the same things. But oftentimes they do go hand in hand because yes. other people bring more vibrancy and more entertainment to our lives. And the, and I agree with you in that loneliness is oftentimes the culprit, but I think boredom can also be because you see people who do abuse substances with other people. So they're not necessarily lonely because there's a group of friends all doing the same drugs together, all drinking together, but they're doing it because they're not out doing other things. It's like not as fun to sit around in a room with your friends and just be sober and sit there and chat versus having a few cocktails. And so that's another thing where they do go hand in hand. It's important to differentiate which one you may be suffering with. But I think most people are suffering from both. And back to your point of the Instagram scrolling and doing it mindlessly, I think everyone's been there because these platforms are designed to be addictive. They're designed to reel you in there. They're literally programmed to make you do just that to make you mindlessly scroll, to make you think, man, 30 minutes has gone by and I'm still on this freaking app. What the heck happens? And that's another thing that people need to be aware of because these uh, social media platforms, as great as they could be when you're utilizing them correctly, like you mentioned earlier, they can also be very addictive and very problematic. Yeah, they're, they're a time suck. And, and depending on where you're at mentally, they can you can ingest them differently going back to what you said about seeing a highlight reel, you know? And, um, I think about the gen, you know, the, the people younger than me, you know, the 14, 15, 16, 17 year olds, some of the people in their early twenties that might not exactly know who they are yet. Um, and then they're comparing themselves online to just something that's not realistic because it's filtered and photoshopped and the lighting's perfect and they took 57 photos to get this one. And um, that's why, you know, I stopped, I stopped filtering my photos. I'm just trying to do what I can for any young readers I might have. Um, but at the same time, it's like, I, I'm very clear. I'm like, this was a photo shoot. These are not my eyelashes. I tag all the photographers, you know, I don't, this was not taken on my cell phone. Um, so I think it's just, we, we are all accountable to own up to what we're portraying to the world. Yeah. And, and it, all the better place that way. It's so true. And it can be hard because obviously we do want to put out the best version of ourselves. That makes total sense from a human psyche standpoint. You don't want to put out this picture where you look lousy and you know, oh, I look better than that most of the time. So it can be challenging. It's not only of a vulnerability issue. It's also just the fact that you want to show up the best you possibly can to the people you care about and to your audience. And so I struggle with that myself. And I do think it's important to highlight those things. And that's one thing I, I always try and do is highlight the uh, importance of things like cooking and getting outside and getting sunshine and doing exercise and eating the right types of foods because that's really what people need to see is someone setting an example saying, hey, it is cool and important to get back in the kitchen and to make nourishing food. It's something that many people look down upon. You know, I don't have time to cook. I don't have time to clean. I, I'm too busy for this. And then you see them binging on five hours of Netflix. And it's like, well, everyone has the same 24 hours in a day. You just prioritize your time differently than I do. And so it's, it, it's good to realize these things and to put out, like you said, be a force for change and be the example that you wish to see in the world. And to really lead lead that way so that other people can see that that is a feasible thing and that, hey, this is something that's worth doing and it's helping other people. Right. And I think that that's something I'm actually going to post next week. So you have the, you have the scoop. But um, I had a big show on Monday a few days ago. Um, again, a bucket list show for where I live in New Jersey. I performed at this iconic bar 
uh, venue at in Asbury Park, New Jersey, which is somewhere it's always just been on my list. I never even imagined I would actually play it. I did. And I posted photos from that. I was so excited. There was a great response. Um, but something I didn't talk about yet is that show is Monday. I'm talking next week about how, how I was Sunday, the day before. And just, I don't know if it was the anticipation or what, but like I slept 13 hours. I didn't want to get out of bed. I had no energy. I, I was in, I was, I was anxious about the show. So it just shows like, I was high, 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 happy on Monday, but leading up to the event Monday, I could barely move. Wow. Yeah, that's really, really uh, powerful that you're sharing that. I appreciate that. And I know we could talk all day about this, Alicia, but I do want to value your time. And we didn't even get into a lot of the other stuff I wanted to regarding addiction and some other Mm -hmm. solutions for that. But just in closing, we identified the awareness aspect. We identified the asking for help and being okay with being vulnerable and pushing your ego aside and some of these lifestyle practices that can really help move the needle. Is there anything else you'd like to share with the audience that can help them if they're in this situation where they're feeling depressed, they're feeling down, they're feeling anxious? I just, I started living my life one day at a time. And I, and that has, I still have uh, days that I describe, that I write about, but it has made my life better to not be planning six months ahead, a year ahead, five years from now. Um, so anyone that's hurting right now or feeling like it's never going to get better, I know you hear this all the time, but it will get better. Um, but you still need to be here in order for it to get better. You know, um, you going to extremes, taking your life, anything like that doesn't make any situation um, better. And the world needs you here. Your existence matters. And um, I just want people to know that they're not alone. They're, they're one of so many who battle this on one level or another every single day. I read that this year, one in five adults will experience some kind of mental health issue this year. One in five. Um, so just one day at a time is what I say. And I, and I just hope that you find your people and your tribe and you feel cared for. I love it. I love it, Alicia. And the, it's true. Those statistics you mentioned, it, if I remember correctly, depression is one of the top leading causes of disability these days. It's one of the number one problems that people are suffering with. And unfortunately, a lot of them are resorting to pharmaceutical medication And not to say that's all bad, I understand that there's a place and time for everything nearly, but it's not going to resolve the problem long term. And just in closing, a few other things that have really moved the needle for my mental health is gratitude journaling, identifying the things in your life that you do have to be grateful for. And there's so many, I don't care how bad your situation is, if you're listening to this podcast, you're better off than probably 90% of the planet. And so identifying that, hey, you have your physical faculties, you can see, you can hear, you have access to water, you have access to information like this that could really help you. You have loved ones, you have a roof over your head. The list goes on and on and on and on. But by identifying those and being conscious of all the good things in your life, it could really help to reframe your situation because it's at the end of the day, it's all perspective. It's all how you're looking at it. And you can't be comparing yourself to other people. And you really just, the only person you should compare yourself to is who you were yesterday. And if you're growing and you're improving and you're realizing, hey, even if I had to step back, that's okay because I've recognized this and it's helping me grow in the long run. And just getting back to it and staying on top of it is huge, huge, huge. And the other thing is I always help my clients and do this myself is create a morning formula which is just identifying a series of affirmations to remind yourself that you are good enough. You are worthy. You do have many good attributes and you do have so much to live for in this life. And I feel it's just such an important thing to remind yourself of daily and be conscious of because it's easy to forget in the day-to-day grind. Absolutely. Well, I'd love for people to check out your work, Alicia. Uh, I mentioned earlier, you have a few different poetry collections, stuff I've been feeling lately. And I hope my voice doesn't skip are two that have become very popularized and for good reason. And also your Instagram. Could you tell people what your Instagram handle is and also anywhere else they could find you? Sure. So all over the internet, I am the Alicia Cook, T-H-E Alicia Cook. Um, my website is thealiciacook.com. Um, yeah, just find me. I'm, I'm most active on Instagram because it's overwhelming to be active everywhere. Um, so that's another self-care thing is I've limited myself um, on the internet. But 
um, yeah, I hope we connect and I hope to hear from some of you if you listen. Well, thanks for your time, Alicia. Thank you. Thanks for listening in. You can find the show notes and resources at thrivingwellness.co slash podcast. We encourage you to share your biggest takeaways with us on social media and share the show with your friends and family. If you found this episode valuable, leave us a five-star review. Your feedback helps to support us on our mission to positively impact as many people as we can with this information. Join us for our next episodes where we will be interviewing leading wellness professionals to inspire you in your health journey. Until next time.